Welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome to the Family Fright Night Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Chase Will. I'm joined today by author Jesse D'Angelo, author of Pray to God, A Collection of Tales, Doomsday Dogs, Composite, Skinner, Lady of the Lake, and others. Jesse, how you doing? Good. How you doing, Chase? Pretty good. Just uh, waking up a little bit still. <laughs> I think once you hit 30 or so, you're constantly in a state of still waking up. Oh, trust me, I'm at 43 now. So now it's like I have to dig myself out of the grave every time I'm waking up in the morning. So, yeah. It's about how it feels. <laughs> 5 p.m. hits. I'm still like, is my day started yet? <laughs> so uh, what's your favorite horror movie? I started every episode asking about that. Okay. Um, God, there's just so many. And, and I could go on a whole long diatribe. But the one that's the most consistently been my favorite or at least in the top three since i was a little kid an american werewolf in london oh man i've seen the movie in so long i love it <laughs> it's actually one of those movies that holds up over time still i had never lessons in quality over the years yeah yeah um i mean i could say the thing i could say day of the dead i mean i could say predator yeah there's just so many but uh, american werewolf is the one i just keep coming back to watch it over and over again and uh I just love it. It's one of the mo- one of the ones that really inspired me to want to be a writer, to want to work in special effects, uh, to work in the film industry. So, um, yeah, it's, it's almost perfect. Yeah, it's one of those movies too that perfectly balances the humor and the horror. Like that scene in the movie theater close to the end where he's talking to his dead friend. Like that's this iconic. Yep. Yeah, uh, and people think like, oh, it's a horror comedy. It's like, not really. I mean, even John Landis has said. It's it's a horror movie. It it just happens to have some funny moments in it, uh, and having people react the way that normal people would probably react in that situation is funny. Now, obviously, some of it is just going way overboard, like the the people in, like you said, people in the movie theater who are all like, you know, cheerful and like, oh, you could kill yourself with a car crash, really. <laughs> and Jack being so jovial, you know, that are over the top and. It kind of heighten things uh but then they're also i mean most of it is just kind of situational humor uh which which i love it's not like specifically going for a gag it's more about just the tone you know yeah i think it's good you mentioned that too because comedy movies where they're going for the gag the laugh always fails for me but if it's completely situational like it, it's leading logically to the joke you know that's when it hits harder i believe yeah I mean, another another example of that is uh, Return of the Living Dead, which everyone always cites as like one of their favorite horror comedies. But if you watch that movie, it's like you can't really put your finger on what's funny about it. It's not really a comedy. There's no jokes. There's no gags. It's it's more about the tone of it. Like it's it's really bleak. Everyone dies, you know. However, it's got this like punk rock cast to it and. And all the music is very like. So I'm wearing it right now. Oh yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorites. I've got the t-shirt. Yeah, I've got that shirt. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, but it's like yeah, it's like surf rock kind of music. It's like party time. It's like very kind of upbeat rock and roll soundtrack, and kids with all this colorful clothes and and hair and stuff like that. And it's. There's no jokes in it, but somehow it's just fun and funny 
to have all of these people kind of put together in the situation and the rock and roll soundtrack just kind of keeps things light, mm. you know? So it's not like ha-ha horror comedy. It's just kind of fun, you know? That's what I enjoy about it, too. It's like if a movie can hold my attention, no matter how it's holding my attention, that to me is a good movie. And that movie hits the horror marks, hits the comedy marks. It's the perfect blend of the two. And it just it can't be topped. Like all the sequels, I think, tried to top it, but they just can't. Like It's just the perfect movie. Yeah, it's great. And uh, rest in peace, Clue Gulliger, you know. Um, so, yeah, that's that's definitely one of my favorites. I, I can't help myself. I, I spent my entire childhood watching movies and, you know, reading short stories and books and drawing books and comics and things like that. I was obsessed with monsters my whole life, pretty much. So, Same here. I remember as a kid, I mentioned this before on the show, there was a deal at the video store, like five movies for $5 for five days. And I would constantly be there, just look at the box art, just running this dozens of movies a week. <laughs> I think it's most horror fans experience yeah yeah pretty much kids these days don't know the struggle of having to go to a video store and look <laughs> and carry those home and re- rewind them and late fees and all that it's like uh you know oh, man. experience too because you see people you chat about movies it wasn't just you sit at your computer you click it and now it's yours you know i think so we more- just uh i think we just aged ourselves a bit yeah, yeah. Well, hey, I, I'm at the point where I, I don't even care anymore. I'm just like, yeah, I'm an old fart. <laughs> None of that Netflix business. Did I not curse? I'm sorry. No, I said none of that Netflix business. Yeah. Although they 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 do some good stuff. I, I've started watching that Dahmer show, and that's really good. You know, every now and then Netflix will uh, will deliver some some good stuff. Oh yeah. There's a couple shows I got to catch up on on there, like uh, The Devil in Ohio, I think it was called. I heard that's pretty good. I haven't seen that. Uh, I don't watch a whole lot of Netflix. Most of the time I watch Netflix, it's just me and my wife. While we have dinner, we'll put on an episode of something or other. Uh, and then in my spare time, I'm writing and drawing and photoshopping. So it's like, I really don't have time to just watch a series, you know, start to finish like I used to. But uh but that's fine. I'd rather be productive anyway. What is your schedule like with being productive? Like, do you wake up a certain time each day to write, or do you have like a nightly schedule? Yeah, well, I try to I try to work in the morning, so I'll wake up at like five thirty a.m., um, start writing, and write for a few hours, and then ideally, I like to write for a few hours, take a break, come back, write a couple more hours. Like, I, I don't want to laden myself down with just huge block of time writing it i don't want it to ever not be fun so anytime i start getting tired take a break take a nap go have lunch whatever it is um you know and some days i have got too much stuff to do i can't really do much maybe i'll write like a page in the morning maybe i'll come back in the evening and write a page or something but when i'm really cooking i'm writing like ten thousand words a day like oh man I'm really kind of sitting down for like make devoting the day to writing, you know, that's kind of what I'm putting out. But most days are, are not that kind of output. It's, it's what I'm like on fire, you know? Yeah, man. I wish I could do 10,000 words a day. That's insane. Yeah. Usually, usually it's more like 
5,000 on like an average day. But when I'm, when I'm really cooking, you know, 8,000, 10,000. So it's fun. It's what I want to do. <laughs> so how has um, American Werewolf in London influenced you as a writer? I mean, John Landis and his sense of humor in general really has inf- influenced me. Like every one of his films and his sense of humor has kind of permeated into my own sense of humor. So when I write something, like I can't help but it have that kind of little comedic uh, comedic twist to it. Um, I, I can't help but make it really kind of in your face and Oh, I don't want to say extreme because that would say, oh, I'm, I'm an extreme horror writer, one of those guys. Um, but, you know, I don't pull any punches like American Werewolf. I mean, it's like Jack's death, still one of the most brutal deaths ever put to film. Uh, it's, you know, that movie is bloody. It's sexy. Lots of people get murdered, but it's also really funny, you know. And so my stuff kind of tends to be the same thing. Like, it, I try to make it very scary and sexy and funny. And uh, just that kind of sensibility has come through. And, and of course, werewolves in general. And it's not just American werewolf, but the howling silver bullet, the wolfman, curse of the werewolf. Like I grew up loving werewolves in general. And so American werewolf was right at the epicenter of that. And that's kind of come through in, in my book, Doomsday Dogs, which is, a werewolf comedy story, you know, and uh, that's basically like my love letter to werewolves. That book. And when you're writing, do you write from an outline or do you uh, pants? No, I'm a I'm a plotter. If, if if I start pantsing, I I get you know lost and distracted, and I don't know where I'm going. And I, I like to have an outline and know where I'm taking the story. Um, but within that outline you can then, you know, free flow and, and you know, right, right by the seat of your pants, basically, as long as you know, all right, I got to go from here to here to here to here. But within those connecting points, you can play jazz. You can, you, you know, you can play around and come up with things and surprise yourself. So it's not like you're locking yourself into some rigid framework, you know, you, you at least for me, I like to know where I'm going, but within that, I like to be able to improvise. Mm-hmm. And if I don't like it, you know, I'll I'll change it later. I can go back and restructure something. But anytime I've tried to just pants it, it it's always been like, I don't know where I'm going with this. Yeah, so, not not my style, but it works for us. Works for some people, especially Stephen King. He's like the most famous example of that. So. Yeah, not yeah. If we could all be Stephen King, right? <laughs> what about you? What do you do? Oh, I like a little bit of both. I mean, the current project I'm working on, I had to outline just because it's got more characters and more plot to it. But typically, I like pantsing just because it feels more, uh, what's I say, fun, I guess. Like, it's more surprise for me. Yeah. Whereas sometimes, like, if I'm outlining everything, I feel like, okay. I already know where the story's going. Now I'm not having quite as much fun telling it, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. It also depends on how intricate of a story it is. You know, so if I was writing a story where it's just something very simple and it's like, oh, a young couple goes to a 
cabin in the woods and there's a killer and he attacks him and whatever, it's like, okay, that, that's not something I necessarily need to, to outline. You know, you, you have the basic idea, then you just kind of have fun with it. But like the more moving pieces, the more characters, the more like subplots and things that you have to remember to call back from and whatnot. It's like, it gets complicated. I, I need a, ro- a roadmap personally. Yeah. Um, but also keep it flexible because like you said you don't want you want it to be fun you don't want to just feel like you're boxed in so at least, I, think, at least... I think one of the most fun examples of that was in high school where you would give people like a section of a story at a time like your close friends and stuff i don't know if you ever did something like that and yeah. then they would be like i hope this happens next or you know what's next what's next what's next and then you would have to figure it out it's yeah. kind of like like an ongoing uh serial kind of in high school did you ever do anything like that Sure. Uh, we did that. But we, we also did it in art, like in college. And like my friends and I were all kind of artists in one way or another, but we all had our own style. So sometimes we'd get like a big, huge piece of poster board and each one of us would have a pen. And like one of us would like start a drawing and then like pass it to the next guy and he would take his pen and draw something else. And he'd pass it around and we'd all be kind of doing these really kind of weird, abstract, college, funky pieces that were collage, sort of. Um, not so much writing. Like I, I'm sure I must have done that kind of thing a couple times, like in high school or, or something, where each person writes like a section of a story. But uh, I don't remember that quite as well. And segueing from there, on top of writing, you also do a lot of visual work, like drawings, and uh, you do paintings, right? Yep. Yeah. Uh, I don't paint as much anymore. It's mostly kind of uh, pencils, pen and ink, uh, a lot of Photoshop stuff. So like posters for movies, book covers, uh, album covers for musicians and things like that, and some logo work for companies. So yeah, try to try to stay busy best I can, you know. When you're doing one and you get kind of exhausted on it, do you move to the other? Like, is it kind of like a relief from, say, if you're struggling with the writing, you go into painting, that way you're always productive, or you get burnt out from one for after a while? Uh, no, I kind of just do what needs to be done in that moment, depending on what the deadline is. And like, if it's something I'm doing for myself and I'm not getting paid, it's like an independent publishing thing or whatever. Like if someone comes in with a job and says, like, here, I'll give you $300 to design, you know, such and such thing for me. It's like, OK, well, I'll I'll work on that. You're you're paying me. You've got a deadline, you know, whereas if I'm doing something for myself, it's like, OK, that that can wait. You know, you just kind of pick pick priorities. And I don't know some people kind of float from one project to another, like they lose interest in something. So they work on something else. And I don't find that to be like a a direct way to go about like getting things done. Like I, I really choose each project that I do like really carefully. So it's gotta be something that I'm really passionate about and I really love it. And it's like burning a hole in my head and demanding that I like let it out. So like when I start a book, I'm just in it. Like I'm, I'm, I start it. I'm going to write, write, write until I finish it. And I'm going to work on the art for it. And I'm going to do the cover and I'm just going to, finish it and if i have like some urge to to work on something else i kind of just make a little mental note and say like okay maybe that could be my next book or so like right now i've got like my next three or four books kind of in the queue in my brain 
We're like, okay, I really want to write this one and this one and this one. So I'll write this one next and then that one next and then that one next. Um, I, I try to just kind of be efficient and get it done and have like a, a workman's attitude to it rather than like, oh, I prefer this project over that. It's like, just wake up, you do the work, you, you get it done. Um, otherwise, you don't get anything done. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't anyway. I don't speak for anyone else. But yeah, that's how I do it. Do you ever get like really far into a project and then you kind of start to lose interest? And if so, how do you get, make that work? Like, how do you keep it going once you start to kind of stray? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. Not, <laughs> Just me. <laughs> well, this is, this is maybe one of the reasons that I really like plotting over pantsing is because like if you're pantsing something you start something you don't really have a fully formed idea in your head where it's going and so as you're writing into it you're you're maybe getting lost you don't know where to take it you you get confused you you get writer's block oh what am i going to do with this and and you can start to lose interest but like when you plot something you do so much of the work before you even start writing the thing so by the time i actually start writing page one of the actual book i have at least some idea of of the beginning middle and end what's going to happen in general maybe not even every scene that's going to happen but i know where it's basically going to go and i just i my my interest maintains like i'm, I'm kind of just like on fire the whole time uh, i'm writing and uh, it's like an obsession i can't stop it and uh and that's the only way I know how to do it, really. Uh, if I tried anything else, I don't think it would work for me. That's yeah. a great feeling when that happens. Yeah. And and if I ever start feeling like this isn't working, it's usually before the writing process has even started. Like, it's usually in the plotting process. Because, like, a lot of writing is just thinking. Like, people say, like, oh, I've got writer's block. I'm sitting at my computer for two hours and I didn't write a single word. I'm being so unproductive. It's like, no, you're being productive. You're sitting there thinking about where you want to take this thing. And thinking is part of the process of writing. So before I start writing a book, I'll think about it a lot. I'll go for walks. When I'm driving, I'm thinking about it. I'm writing down notes. I'm just start writing an outline and then I write another outline. Then I write, and so it's all like kind of brewing so that when I start the actual writing of the book, I know what it is. And so if during that outlining period, that's when I kind of lose interest. So let me give you an example. So I was like, I was going to do a book last year that was going to be uh, in, in my, in my collection of short stories book, there's one about this uh, vampire who's like this, elegant gentleman vampire who doesn't kill people, but he, he owns a blood bank and he lives over the blood bank. So he doesn't have to, he just goes down and gets a bag, a couple vials of blood and he drinks it. And, you know, he doesn't want to get his hands dirty. He's just like a guy and he kind of stumbles into adventures because he's a vampire. And I thought, well, let me do a book. That's just a book of him. And I'll do like 10 short stories of this vampire character. And it'll be like a little short book. And, starting to uh, plot that out. So I like made like a little outline for each of the 10 students trying to figure out what I was going to do with it. And 
just as I was kind of plotting it and thinking about it, I started losing interest. And I was like, eh, I don't know if this is really going anywhere. And, you know, so I kind of saved myself from losing interest while I was writing the actual book, planning the book. I was like, eh, this is not, not going to happen. So, you know, maybe I'll do it later. I don't know. But for now, I was just like, nah, that book, not happening. Move on. I've had something like that happen recently, too, where a story I wrote like 10 years ago comes to my mind for some reason. And I'm like, now I know what to do with it. Yep. I love that. That's that's what happened with um, Pray to God. Well, that was even older. Pray to God was a story I wrote when I was like 12 years old. Uh, it was called Mother. It was about police and crooks who have to who, who get caught in a cave together with this giant vocal monster. and. Uh, and the idea always stuck with me since I was 12 years old. And then when I was 19, I, it was still with me. So I adapted it into a screenplay and I called it Pray to God at that point. And then it went through another iteration and then another. And then I then it kind of sat on the shelf for like 15, 20 years at this point. And, uh, and but it was always in the back of my mind. And I, as I started writing books this past year and a half, I was like, you know, Pray to God just keeps coming into my mind, you know, from the original story to the screenplay. And like, like I, I, maybe I should write a book about this because the story just keeps kind of cropping up at different points in my life in different forms. So I wrote a book and it kind of took on its final shape, I guess, since it didn't turn into a movie like I originally planned. Um, so, yeah. Do you ever write alternates? Like you go in, you take stuff out, and you kind of replace it with something completely different? Uh, well, one thing I did when I was writing Doomsday Dogs was I wrote uh, two different endings, right? Because uh, I didn't I didn't know if I wanted it to be like a, a happy ending where everyone kind of wins and saves the day, or did I want it to be like Return of the Living Dead, where it's like, oh, shit, everyone dies, you know? Um, and so when I was writing that book, when I got to that moment, I just kind of like wrote that, wrote a page of a happy ending. And then I skipped to the next page and I rewrote, uh, you know, that, oh shit ending. And I sent it to my various readers and I said like, okay, hope you enjoy the book. Let me know which ending you like better. And everybody, I'm not going to say which one they chose, but everybody agreed on what ending would be best and i was like yeah you know what i think you're right um but most of the time i have like a much more clear idea of where i want to take it like right from the beginning um i don't always know about what the connective tissue is going to be like you know there might be like however many scenes i don't know exactly what's going to happen in every scene or what the connective tissue is going to be so uh in that way i kind of pants it but at the very least, I have like some sort of structure so I know like where all the major uh, plot points are. Yeah. And now where can people find your work online? Do you have a gallery for your visual work? Uh, I have a small website, um, nothing fancy, but it's called uh, jessedangelo.net. Um, there's no apostrophe in D'Angelo in, in that spelling. Uh, so, yeah, there's there's a small gallery of art in there and there's like a a little link that you could click on each of the books. Uh, they're all available on Amazon. Um, 
So you could always just go straight to Amazon and look up my name and look up the name of books, or you could go to my website, click on that. Um, yeah, or you can contact me on like Facebook or, uh, or Twitter or Instagram if you want like a signed copy. You know, I mail, mail people signed copies of the books all the time. So um, that's fun because I, you know, sometimes we'll do a little drawing in there, or give a little swag like bookmarks and stickers and shit like that. I just had new stickers made, which I'm I'm excited about. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm pretty approachable. So hit me up. I'm happy to hear from anybody who wants to talk about shit. Well, Jesse, thank you so much for joining, man. That's been fun. Yeah, definitely, Chase. Thanks for reaching out. Of course. Yeah, have a great day, man. You too. See ya. Bye.